You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 124. You can get a proven digital marketing strategy implemented for your game store in the next 24 hours that generates sales and grows your email list at the same time. Using a powerful combination of Facebook and Google ads and email automation, we can plug in our proven digital marketing system and start driving sales and growing an email list for your game store almost immediately, all without you having to write a single ad or newsletter. Of all the strategies we've implemented for game store owners, this particular combo is my favorite. I love being able to generate results quickly and measurably in our clients. You want to find out how we can plug this system into your business in the next 24 hours? Go to maniversesaga.com forward slash autopilot and book a quick consultation call. We'll ask a few questions to see if you're a good fit, and then we will jump into implementing everything right away. No long setup times, no major commitments, and no tech headaches. That is maniversesaga.com forward slash autopilot. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at maniversesaga.com. We've got Whitman Bodiger today, the owner of Critical Hit Games. Critical Hit Games is a WPN premium game store in Abingdon, Maryland, carrying the classic selection of TCGs, miniatures, RPGs, and board games, with a special focus on custom TCG formats, which I definitely want to dive into because I'm very curious about that aspect of things. Uh, well, welcome to the podcast, Whitman. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you very much for joining. I'm glad we could connect today and we uh, have an opportunity to have a conversation. To kick things off, the way that I always like to start the podcast and the way that I always like to introduce store owners to the audience is... Uh, talking about the origin story about where the game store came from. How did you get into this business? Why why game stores? Why not any of the millions of other options that people have available to them? So what is the origin of Critical Hit Games? Um, I feel like probably most game store owners, um, it just comes from a passion of gaming from very very young age. Got into gaming probably was about middle school um, with Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, um, and in my town of Aberdeen, Maryland, where I grew up, which is just a little north of Baltimore, um, there was one game store after one game store after one game store after one game store, and the whole come and went, and they were the classic sort of 90s, 80s style, two tables in a room and some product on the shelf kind of game store. Um, and then when I was my mid-20s, um, the local game store around me that I was visiting had once again, for the many times, closed. And I thought, mm, I feel like this could be done a little better, um, a little more professional. Um, so I took what little money I had at the time and just went for it. Um, and luckily, there was really no competition in my area at the time. Um, most of the game stores around here are really clustered around the Baltimore area. But as you get outside um, to northern Maryland, it's, there's very few uh, game stores around. So that's pretty much it. Just seen a lot of what not to do from failed businesses before me. Interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of game store owners who had a similar experience watching yes. <laughs> watching this constant ebb and flow of, uh, of shops yeah. open and close, as, is, uh, as tends to be the way in this industry. So 
from your perspective, what did they do wrong? What was the what was their like common failure? Why did they why did they go through that cycle of you know sure. opening up and then shutting back down? <laughs> I think it's sort of um, people who own open a business more of a clubhouse than an actual business. It's you know I like playing games. I want to play the games with my friends. Um, let's open a store with game space and invite my friends over to play games, which is fine. It's a fun thing to do, but you could do that at home in your basement for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't really need a business to do that. And so there is a lot of focus on events and not much focus on serving the community with the products that they're looking for. I see a lot of stores that weren't well kept, just dirty. Uh, you'd be surprised how many stores when I was growing up that just weren't clean. Um, would be not a place for children, not a place for families. And people who just zero experience running a business. To be fair, when I first started, I didn't have much experience running a business either, but um, I was willing to learn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of stuff that uh, I saw. I remember when I first opened, uh, like before I first opened, I decided to do like a tour of all the game stores in my area, Um, you know, up to like a 50 mile radius, something like that. And I remember walking into one shop, I won't say its name, doesn't exist anymore. I remember walking in and the owner was on the phone, cell phone, talking off with a friend, didn't acknowledge me. There uh, had clearly never been clean, it was just dust covering everything. There were some people playing a card game in the back very loudly, cursing, um, and it sounded like a uh, Counter-Strike chat room back there. And, uh, <laughs> There's a throwback. And I also remember there was a, a leak in the ceiling that was uh, pouring onto some comic books and, you know, dry rotting the comics or something. Like, they weren't protected or anything. It was just water on top of comic books. And I thought, wow. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. That's and then there were other stores that I walked into that uh, still exist today that were are really good. And we're like, oh, this is this is how you do it. This is this is a clean room. The game area is separate from the story. People can shop in peace. I was mm-hmm. greeted when I walked in the door. You know, basic stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you saw a lot of what not to do before yeah. diving into things. Yeah. So when you were doing this tour and you were taking a look at all of these game stores in the area that you know may or may not have been doing things right or may have been doing things a little bit better, uh, what were like some of the ideas that you had that you incorporated into your vision for Critical Hit? Um, I definitely wanted the shopping area and the game area to be separate. There's so many stores I walked into where they had the product on the walls all the way to the back of the building and then down the middle of the table middle of the store with all these game tables and I mean seeing people play games that you sell in stores this is a way to advertise the games you have in the store but it's also a way to really um, interrupt somebody who just wants to quietly shop um, someone really wants to play a game or see a game room or take a look there it should be accessible but it really felt like it should be segregated and that just wasn't something most stores were doing back then um, a lot of things I just learned the hard way. <laughs> I went in with a lot of knowledge of what not to do, what I should be doing. That was learned over the years more than anything else. Mm. So what are the lessons, lessons that you learned initially? <laughs> what were those things that you discovered like in the first year or two that you're like, oh, this is what I need to be doing. Why, you know, why, why yeah. is more people doing this? Um, a lot of it really was the attitude. Um, it was really just attitude. Um, I, I, I knew I didn't want to do kind of a clubhouse thing, but right at the beginning I noticed that my main customers were a kind of clubhouse crowd. It was just, hey, it's my friends, <laughs> you know, so I really needed to kind of expand out. Um, and that's really with the way we do events, I guess. 
Um, you know, in the early days, we did a lot of highly competitive stuff, top-end prize pools for magic events, and, and you know, that draws a certain sort of grinder crowd, and we still do events for those kinds of people, and they still have them as customers, but if you really want to reach out and get more of the casual kitchen table players, families, kids, parents, um, the attitude that we have with running events is, is much more like flat prize pool participation events, things like that. A lot more, big, much bigger focus on D and D than we used to do. So I mean, I, you know, I see a lot of, I would see stores around us do, you know, big magic events, but then there was nothing else. And um, it's it's nice to walk into a store and see a bunch of people playing D and D, and there's you know, parents and then the next generation playing with them at the same time. And it just comes with the attitude of of how you run your store and how you organize your events. That makes a lot of sense. The idea of having this different mindset mm -hmm. from other game stores. And I think this I think that is a common mistake that a lot of stores make, especially the the clubhouse stores that you reference, is that uh, people come in with this idea of like I'm going to serve the hyper competitive magic player because sometimes yeah. that's what they are, right? That's what they identify yeah. as and they're like, "Oh, I'm really into this game. I really love this game. I'm going to make a business out of this game and then I'm going to serve people like me." when they're not necessarily the best customers for a long-term successful business. Yeah, absolutely. If I run a, a big you know, qualifier, Magic of Terms, something like that, I'll get people from all over to come by the store, but the people I don't ever usually see again. <laughs> you know, they might yeah. come by, they might buy a few single cards and then, oh, see you next year, you know. But yeah. if I focus on more casual events that focus, hyper-focus really on local community, then I will see the same people over and over and over and over again. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, that translates into much more sales. Exactly. That's more of a long-term strategy. Yeah. Making people, uh, or making people comfortable enough to come out and play with their friends who aren't necessarily interested in going to the Pro Tour or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, uh, what do you do to... Like other than hosting the events, right? You said you you know you, you flatten the prize pool. That automatically kind of pushes certain player types away, right? Because if you're a shark or if you're into grinding and you really want to win, you know, coming out for four booster packs or something at a pre-release is not like super exciting. They'd rather go win the booster box somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. So other than flattening the prize pool, which naturally incentivizes that sort of play. Do you do anything else to attract those players? Like, do you advertise that this is a new player-friendly kind of event or yeah, you know, family-focused? Like, what kind of stuff do you do? Absolutely. I was also, that was a really difficult transition when we moved from sort of the shark players to the casual players. It's like, oh, God, we're going to lose people. And you're like, you're right, people are not going to want to show up to an event. That, but, you know, for every person we lost, we gained 10 more. So we're down the long run. Um, yeah. As far as, like, reach out, yeah, we do, like, uh, we have something called Magic Academy, uh, which is just a, a, a program for new players. Um, and it's it's like four weeks, four Sundays in a row. And it's like first one's my first game where you just teach someone to play. The second one is my first deck, and then it's my first tournament. Um, is and then my first booster draft. And they're designed not so much to teach people to play Magic. I mean, it does teach people to play Magic, but lots of people show up to them already kind of know the basics. What it's designed to do is to make people feel comfortable in a store setting for an event. That's, I find that's one of the biggest barriers. Going to a game store for a, pe a lot of people is like going to a gym for the first time. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's the same level of, of you know nervousness. Am, am I going to be made fun of? As everyone else there knows more than I do. Um, yeah, is this you know, place everyone, for me? Yeah, is this place for me? That's it's anyone owns a gym is going through the same thing. <laughs> everyone owns a game store is going through. Um, 
And so that's it's really, really thought about, like, how, how do I break down as many barriers to somebody who's thinking about coming to their local game store for the first time? Um, that you only plays at home, maybe with just friends or family, and that's it. That's going to feel comfortable playing with a stranger that they don't know. Maybe with the idea of uh, being paired against somebody or there being a prize. Is it too competitive? Is it, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I find um, a lot of players who aren't necessarily your local game store customer yet worry about. And so those are the kind of programs that we do. Same thing with Dungeons and Dragons. We have an open play D&D night that is just, here's a table for new players, here's a table for kids, and here's a table for everyone else. And we just have three DMs going on at the same time. It, every Wednesday it looks like a little mini RPG convention <laughs> here. Um, uh, and that's, it's about getting breaking down those mental barriers people have about coming to uh, a new place with strangers that they're af have afraid that maybe they're not good enough in the game or they or they don't know as much and that's the kind of stuff that I really do for outreach yeah there's a the level of intimidation when you're yeah. new to something especially like new to the space but also maybe new to the game new to the hobby mm -hmm. that that's a lot of obstacles that could potentially prevent somebody from coming to your shop and you know being a customer and shopping with you hopefully for the long term. And I really like that metaphor of comparing the game store to the gym. It's a, it's a good way of thinking about it because it is very similar experience-wise for somebody who's maybe never participated, who, who doesn't identify as somebody who goes to the gym. Going to the gym for the first time is, a, is an intimidating experience because you, know, you look at all these you know, people who are huge and, and lifting yeah, heavy weights and they know what they're doing <laughs> yeah they know what they're doing and they're not getting hurt right and there, there's yeah. elements of that but like uh yeah I, I i think it's a really great way to think about the game store and how somebody coming into it for the first time is experiencing it and trying to put yourself into their shoes and think okay what would i need to do to feel comfortable that to come in and actually have this you know to, to shop but also mm -hmm. to participate and be, become part of the community so for the, uh, the academy, this program that you have, do you do this yeah. on a regular basis? Like how, do how does this work? How do people get into it? Every pre-release. Every pre-release we tie it in with. Um, so while you know, on the, well, we do Friday, Saturday, Sunday pre-releases, on the Sunday um, is the first class. Um, it's like 20 bucks. You sign up, and that's all. You're, you're good. And you're, well, we'll give out more than $20 worth of packs. It's a bit of a loss leader, but like I'm making new players, so I'm okay just taking a small hit on it. But if it'll, it'll start with a couple of Jumpstart packs that they don't know how to play. But other than that, here's your pre-release kit. Here's your prize packs for your pre-release kit. Let's talk about how to build a deck. And then next week it's come back with your, the cards you opened, and we'll hear some more packs. Let's build a 60-card constructed deck. And we're just going to talk about deck building, and you guys can hang out and play. And here's some more packs. And then week three, it's like, all right, I know this deck you built. Let's do a little best-of-one mock tournament, three rounds. Mm. And we'll give out packs. Kind of gives the idea of how Friday Magic's going to feel. And then week four is just concept of booster draft because it's, I feel if you can play you know, your local game store, you should probably know the basics of booster draft. It's going to come up. And then when they're done, they get a coupon to the a free entry to an F and M. So please come back. <laughs> so um, lots of value. It's also really good. Yeah, it's, it has a lot of value. Um, it's also really good for um, WPN metrics because they're looking for returning players. And mm -hmm. that's four and four events they've returned for because we we sign them up using their wizard's ID for all of these, and then they come back to their free F and M, and one more event and they're an engaged player. 
I like it. It's a really easy way to kind of like build those metrics up and get to that yep. point where you can qualify yeah. for. for uh, yeah, if you're looking for premium, you need to make premium. engage new players specifically, and that's that's an excellent way of doing it. Do you do any uh, promotions for this sort of thing, or is it just naturally like people hear about it and they come out after the pre-release? Just social media promotions. We we print some flyers to hand out at the counter. But that's that's about it. Yeah. And it's a consistent flow of people yeah, coming yeah, in. Yeah, it's not like a, it's not huge numbers, but it, we get people every pre-release, and even if it's only a couple, perfect. If I get like you know twelve people show up, hey, even better. Hey, twelve people every two to three yeah, every, months. Every three months, that's that, that adds up fast. Yeah, yeah, that's a good growth, and that's that's uh, one of the things that I like to to talk about when it comes to game stores and, and the idea of like what, what a customer is worth, like not, you know, morally or, or, right. uh, or judgment or anything like that. But like the idea of like how much is a customer going to spend with your business over yeah. the course of the lifetime that they're going to be interacting with you. Right. And if you added it up and you could do the averages and you could track all the metrics and figure it all out, a single customer, like a single magic player, who's, you know, a casual committed player who plays F and M every week and, you know, likes to buy booster packs and comes out to the pre-releases and, you know, is active in the community, they're spending a lot of money with you. Yeah. Right? Potentially thousands of dollars over the course of a year or two. Sometimes more, right? Depending on how much, how invested they are in the game. Could be, could be considerable. How much is it worth for you to go and get one of those customers? Right? Like you said, this is a, a loss leader program. You're, you're, you're not making profit off of the fact that these people are coming in and giving you 20 bucks to go through this program. But... Yeah. Long term, you know, if that person it, it pays itself ten, hundred times over. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, the best kind of marketing program. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's really interesting. I, I wanted to talk about the uh, the custom programs because I saw that on your website when we were doing the research mm -hmm. that you have, let's say, non-standard magic sure. program, like non-standard, non-typical magic formats. Yeah. Why? How did you go down that road? Like, where did that come from? Um, I'm, I just love making up magic formats and I, or just game ideas in general. I like just making board games for myself. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't market anything or anything like that. I just make them because for myself and my friends because I like to make them. <laughs> and uh, magic's so um, easy to malleable and easy to make stuff stuff with. Um, we have three formats, I think, on our website. We have one called Masters, which is just like Legacy Light, I guess. It's um, mm -hmm. where you can only play cards that have been printed in master sets um, or master pieces. Uh, so it's pretty much like Legacy without the reserve list. <laughs> um, that is mostly just for funsies. The other two are a little more active within the store. We do one called um, Booster Battle, just like a two-pack mini-master. That's mm -hmm. um, good for whenever a new set comes out and people are just looking for a quick, casual way to play with a couple of packs. And then the last one is one that's very new that I'm like pushing pretty hard, actually, in the store. Called, um, right now we call it Basic. I'm not really like tied to the name of the moment. But it's pretty much just Standard Singleton. Um, I see a lot of people, uh, certainly not complaining, but certainly people buy booster boxes when a new set comes out, a new standard set at least. And then because standard globally isn't doing really hot right now, at least in paper, uh, not here either, um, this card just sit in people's shelves. And I find that really sad, I guess, that uh, people mm -hmm. are buying cards and, you know, these cards, effort went to designing these cards, they're designed to work together and so forth, and they just sit there collecting dust. So it's looking for something that. Um, was kind of a classic magic. What's the most laid back version of magic? Sort of how it was in the 90s. Like, I built this deck, you built this deck, let's challenge each other. Um, and so we were like, all right, how do we just 
cut through it, make it just a normal game of Magic, and as cheap as and accessible as possible. Um, hmm. So it's a 60-card singleton. Use the eight most recent sets instead of the usual standard rotation. And, like, that's it. That's all it is. It's really nothing special. But the people that have been involved in it here in the store have had a really, really great time. It just feels like... Um, it feels like when you first start playing standard as a kid and everything's new, you know? <laughs> it's not just, well, this is the deck that did well at the Pro Tour. I'm just going to go build this and that's all I play. And standard gets a little competitive. Um, so I was just looking for something that kind of fits our ethos of, of casual events mm -hmm. um, with allowing people to use the card that they currently bought and something that's very accessible for new players. Kind of like recapturing the nostalgia of some of the earlier days of Magic prior to the internet yeah. and hyper-efficient formats and, you know, things becoming uh, yeah, I mean, early, solved immediately. Days, in the early days, it was like, oh, this card's cool. And you should throw it in your deck because ah, I yeah. like it. It's awesome. And that's that's really what I was trying to harken back to. And customers are responding to this? Like, this yeah, is yeah, something that people come out yeah. for on a regular oh, basis? Only do, for, only do it for a couple of months. It's a slow, it's a small, slow crowd, but um, there's been a lot of interest in it. And I've been advertising it lately by... Um, posting deck lists online and just talking about like here's how it works this is why i'm playing this and then you're looking at your average deck price the same as a pauper deck a lot of the time so like it's just you know, very minimal investment required a good way for people to play standard when standard may may or may not be the thing people the, want to play yeah, at the moment I mean, it's, you can play it at home in your pajamas for free it's kind of a hard sell to play in paper unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly uh so been in business for a while now You've obviously learned a lot as you've gone through, you know, the, the lessons and you've built up the, the store to what it is today. One of two things. What's the one thing that you feel like is maybe the biggest mistake that you've made since you've opened the store? And then want to flip it to the other side. What's the thing that you like? Major success. This is the one thing that everybody should be doing. <laughs> um, I think the biggest mistake and like I'm kind of shocked that I'm still a business of support of being... Um, undercapitalized at the beginning. Um, but this small amount of money that I started with, it kind of blows my mind that we were successful. But it also helps that we're in a, a town that had literally no other options for game stores. Um, and I, our starting stock of product was left over from the previous game store that went out of business. Uh, we just bought their, their stock. But I mean, there's a reason they went out of business. And so looking back, boy, that was a really dumb thing to do. I should have just started from scratch. Um, mm. A whole bunch of, you know, like, you know, you go through this stuff and you're like, okay, there's some things people want, but then there's a bunch of expansions to games that don't exist anymore. <laughs> you know, this dead miniature line, things like that. Yeah. Um, so, that, I mean, that was a lot of money just down the drain, honestly, at the beginning. Um, uh, it it it's, was the kind of thing that would probably put some a lot of places out of business if they're not super careful. And it was, those first couple of years were, like, really, really tight, you know. Uh, the other mistake that I can think of was more recent, which is uh, when we decided to move to our current location, the one here, in which, you know, in the summer of 2019, we're like, all right, the lease is up. We won't, we we've outgrown our space. Let's move. It was like, all right, the new lease is signed. We've picked our spot. The spring of 2020, we're, we're doing it. We're moving. Spring of 2020. Perfect timing. Well, yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You know, global yeah, pandemic. You can't, can't really like that. foresee that. Right? They yeah. can't say that's just, that was my my bad for not uh, prophesying yeah. that that was going to happen. But uh, <laughs> obviously, you made it through, right? You're, yeah. you're still yeah, standing. Yeah. Everything's um, still good. Yeah, COVID was it was a little tough. You know, we'd be uh, shut down for a little while here. Uh, 
I sold more paints than I've ever sold ever. You know, when people are stuck at home, they got nothing to do. Man, miniatures and paint sales through the roof, and D and D books too. Yeah, it was a perfect time for those things. Yeah, now, interestingly enough, for the stores that could handle the weather, like you had the you know the, the funds to be able to operate and continue continue running during the pandemic, and did it well. Like they thrived. They, there's a lot of places that did very well despite the fact that they couldn't be open, which is yeah, which is interesting and fascinating on its own because the i would say before 2020 the prevailing idea was that if you know you're not running events and you're not getting people in the shop like it's just it doesn't work like this the business yeah, model really doesn't work that, yeah. <laughs> but the pandemic proved that that's not necessarily the case yeah. it, it was really store dependent there's a lot of places that did not survive I know, yeah, really that situation and you know <laughs> sad so uh, flip flip the script a little bit so the, those are some of the bigger lessons that you learned some of the you know bigger obstacles that you managed to overcome obviously sure. uh what are some of the things that you know you really like hit the nail on the head that you feel like you did really well or you know was something that uh, really resonated with the community that kind of thing um yeah i can think of a couple i think remember um we talked about how we switched more from more competitive stuff to more casual stuff for especially like magic remember the first pre-release i think it was like battle for zendikar pre-release or something like that that we did that with <laughs> And um, we, like, set up, like, a side activity, like a little mini-game for people to do between rounds. It was, like, a ring toss thing with, like, hedrons and stuff. And we did flat prize pool, and we'd always done really high-end prize pool and um, thought about, you know, how to, how to space out these events to make it more comfortable for everybody. Didn't do the midnight event for the first time ever because everyone was just so miserable during them. Um, I remember getting emails back, multiple emails from brand new customers saying, like, oh, this was the best magic event I've ever been to. You know, uh, mm. I, yeah, I, I had multiple emails talking about, oh, this is the first time I ever went to it. I was so nervous about it, and you guys made me so comfortable. And there were some people that were out of town, too. Like, oh, I visited from Florida, which is in the area. I went to your pre-release. Your pre-release was amazing. I was like, okay, clearly On to something. something correctly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that really got us on the track of where we are now. Yeah, yeah that's a really good sign, because you don't get a lot of praise like generally speaking no. people yeah. do not go to their way to tell you hey i had a great time yeah. i just wanted to let you know yeah it gets reviews every once in a while online but yeah it's, it's rare somebody just comes in and says you know just says something like that just last week we had um had a customer come in and bought a gift certificate um as is as a regular customer um this had recently had a kid who had just grown up and started playing pokemon he was bringing his kid by for pokemon and, now and he's buying a gift certificate and it's like oh is it a birthday or something he's like yeah yeah it's a birthday i said okay and then he comes up to me later and says this is for one of your employees um, he's been so good with my kid and helping him teaching him pokemon and so he's just like just just make sure i'm gone when he gets it <laughs> and so after later the dad and the kid leave and i, I gave the gift certificate to one of my employees said, hey this is for you it's from this customer he's just really appreciative of how good you've been with this kid and how well you've been teaching pokemon and uh, it was it was nice. He got teared up. It was a very nice moment. <laughs> it does not happen very often. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing to see stuff like that. It says a lot about your employee or your your uh, your team. Then yeah, he probably upset if I told you a story, but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not in a bad way. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully not. So, how many people do you have on your team at this point? Uh, I have three employees. So it's just three three people and me. Any tips or tricks on finding the right people? Because obviously you've got at least one person who's on the right yeah, track. And doing yeah, and whenever I'm looking for somebody or looking to hire somebody, I really don't care about 
gain knowledge that much or skill level or anything like that. I care about social skills. Uh, you know, I, that's what I really care about. Can you hold a conversation with a customer for a certain period of time? Um, anything game related, you can learn. Everyone else in the room who's playing games learned at some point too, you can too. Um, it's nice, it helps make things easier if you already know some game stuff, but I've hired people before that had zero game of knowledge and just did fantastic, just because they were pleasant, sociable people. I don't need somebody who can, you know, sell anything. I just need people who are kind and open and social. That's what I really care about. Those are the, the soft skills that matter when it comes yeah. to sales or yeah, I can't, customer I can't service and all of that stuff. Yeah, I can't teach someone to be honest and social. <laughs> I can teach you how to play D&D, but, you know, you've got to come in with certain skills already. That makes a lot of sense. So, tool-wise, I'm curious, what do you use on a semi-day-to-day basis? Like, we're talking software, technology, you know, like, what's something that you have found to be uh, particularly useful or valuable for running the store? I mean, honestly, a good point of sales software is always useful just because I can organize customers and finances, things like that. Um, for me personally, I have a small background in graphic design, and mm. um, having access to a good image editing software really can change um, the way you advertise things in store or the way um, uh, just... I, I, we put our we put our logo on everything we can. We, you know... Um, any flyers we do are really personalized. Like, everything feels like it's critical at games here and not whatever I got sent to you by Privateer Press or Wizard of the Coast or Games Workshop just to throw it on the shelf or the, on, on the wall or something like that. Um, yeah, so if, uh, that's, if you have a good image editing software or you just know somebody who's a good graphic designer, um, you know, or logo design, stuff like that, it's, that's something that can make your store unique. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I've seen a lot of places do that very well. If they've got somebody on staff who's yeah. just, you know, capable of Photoshop and just can whip something yeah. together, or maybe not even Photoshop, but something like Canva is uh, is accessible enough for most people. Yeah, so, yeah to... Photoshop's so pricey. But even something simple yeah. as like if you have put a label on your fridge with the, what the price of the sodas are, you could write in hand or you could put it in Times New Roman font on Microsoft Word, and it does the job, but it doesn't really look like your store you know it doesn't look professional it doesn't but if you take the time to like pick a font out and design it and so forth it, even something as simple as that really makes a difference yeah it's funny how those little details really do add up yeah. things like having your logo you know the style i, I think of i've seen a few a uh, few different game stores that do this really well uh you know like a particular font like having just a font that you have chosen to be this yeah. is my font oh, yeah mm -hmm. that will that will define your brand in ways that's hard to define, right? Like it's hard to explain, but like yeah, it, yeah, it consistently matters. Yeah, absolutely. It gives your store a flavor, right? It gives them, gives people a little bit more taste of the experience, right? And it's also pretty crucial to the WPM premium process as well. Like they want to see your store. They want to see what makes your store, your store. They want to see what, uh, what defines it. And they don't want just generic stuff. Right? They don't want sure. uh, like Wizards is looking for a certain a level of quality, and that's one of those uh, things that you need to be able to bring to the table if you do want to achieve a premium status. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's when we moved in this current location. I was I was thinking about premium as we were moving in, 
That's the kind of stuff I was just like, all right, this is a checklist, just hit as much as I can. <laughs> I remember we did premium, they did our first walkthrough video, and our rep was like, there isn't much to do, to be honest. If you've kind of checked everything off it already, this will be a quick process. And so you just make it as painless as possible. Hmm, that's a really good, really good start, because I've heard a lot of, uh, yeah, not a, horror stories, but I've heard a lot of, of store owners have, uh, you know, challenges going through the premium certification process and sure. getting... You know, even when you you like you said you checked all those boxes, usually they come back with, well, you know, you need to like uh, update your garbage yeah. cans or something like that. There's always like we need to suggest something. <laughs> yeah. So when you did the move, were you expecting to go to premium? It was like that part and parcel with moving to a new location. You wanted to have that happen. Yeah, it was on the to-do list. I didn't know when we would get around to it, um, and COVID obviously just threw everything for a whack at a certain point i was like all right well i'm not thinking about this at all right now i'm just gonna focus on keeping the doors open <laughs> or the lights on yeah absolutely um, uh but yeah yeah that was that was a that was a big focus of it okay so for we talked about tools you know things mm -hmm. they use in the business what about knowledge so have there you said that you basically learned on the go right you you open the shop you you felt like you could do a better job running this kind of a business and you thought there was an opportunity there and you kind of learned as you were building things. Has there been anything that, or any, any books, any resources that you found useful that kind of like helped guide you on the way that you think people would be, you know, uh, that they could benefit from that you'd recommend? In the early days, it was a lot of just the WPN articles that were getting posted. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, like, I'm not even sure they're up anymore. <laughs> they were old articles, but they were really focused on the kind of stuff that we do, and I guess they're their, their first inspiration. Um, nothing was just going to conventions like Gen Con. There's so many good panels that you can go to that are just about running a good game store that they're helpful. Um, I wish I had a book I could tell you that I've read that would give me great knowledge, but I just didn't, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, and then um, Facebook groups. Um, there's a Facebook group product called Small Game Store Sanctuary. You'll find tons of other game stores that are doing quite well and you can bounce ideas off of and they're very helpful. Philosophically, talking about, you know, like why you got into this business, we talked about like, you know, the reasons why you, you felt like there was an opportunity there. Uh, what were you hoping to achieve in terms of, like, what's this, what was the vision for Critical Hit Games? What's something that you want to see over the next five years for, for this store? You know, I don't really have any grand plans of like opening other locations or anything crazy like that. The the main focus of the store from day one was to provide this community with the best game store I could give it, and that's still the focus. All I really, really want to do is just keep growing the player base and making sure that it's always a comfortable and inviting place for everybody. It's a succinct way of putting it. Years. Yeah, then I'm mission accomplished. I'm happy. Ah. Oh. Well, you already short-circuited my, my last question, then. It was going to be like, oh, well, what's success look like for you? And I feel like you already answered that. We're like, ah, we're already, we got it. We're done already. We're good. The other thing that I do want to ask is if someone's listening to this, and they're thinking, you know, I want to open a game store. This is something that I want to do in the future, in the next, say, six to you know, 24 months. And they're listening to your story, and they're, they're you know, taking some of the lessons in. Like, okay, I'm going to do casual stuff. I'm going to, do, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to put, add these to my business plan. What kinds of advice would you give somebody who was in that stage of their, you know, potential journey? What would you tell somebody who's uh, who's thinking about opening a store like right now, 2023? 
uh, the first thing I do is check the area to see if there's lots of competition in the area, if you're by yourself in, in this territory, um, you know, what's the population. There's certain certain things you got to do ahead of, ahead of time, pick out a good location, things like that. Um, and then the question is, what, what kind of store do you want to run? Uh, you know, this is just one type of game store. There's lots of different types of game stores. There are those clubhouse stores we talked about. Some of them have been very successful. They, you know, that's, they, they meet their niche, they meet their community, and that's great. Some stores are half of a cafe, half of a game store. Um, depends if you're in a big urban area or a rural area. There's, there's so many factors <laughs> that go into it. I guess it's just know your community. That's that's the biggest thing I can say is just be aware of where you're opening your store and who, um, what what kind of games are going to resonate best with you and your community and be passionate about whatever you're getting involved in. Um, and that's that's a tricky thing to, to figure out. Um, you may not yeah. know it when you open. It may be something you have to to change to over time. But knowing your community, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah, and, and the one thing that I, I always like to uh, to also mention is that it's a boatload of work. Yes, it's an insane amount of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, if, I know if, that. If that's, yeah, if it's something where you have a full time job and you're doing this on the side, hire a manager, hire you know, hire someone to run it for you. Um, if this is if you if you're planning on doing it yourself, then it's it's your new full time job, and you've got to be willing to take the financial risk that goes with that. Yeah, and understand that you know you're not going to be playing games all day. You're going to be no, working all day. You're going to be doing the game <laughs> of business all day, yeah. and get used to to that sort of a perspective. Because if you want things to work out for you and you want to be successful in the long term, you need to be able to put in the time at the beginning to make it happen. Yeah, the only time I play a game is when I'm running a demo. <laughs> I laugh that I never played an expansion for any board game ever. The only time I play it is I'm teaching somebody. <laughs> if you had full control, if you had, you could wave a magic wand and you could uh, make something happen in the industry, make something change. What's something that you would affect? What's a what's a major change that you think would benefit you know the hobby industry as a whole? If you could be like, oh, I wish publishers would do this. I wish you know manufacturers would help here. I wish retailers would do this. What is something that you would just be like, Whoop, let's make this happen, guys? Maybe some sort of change in the miniature game market. I don't know. Um, miniature gaming is so... I love it. Look, no, it was one of my first passions, miniature gaming, but it's also um, so difficult to get into, I guess. <laughs> I wish there were more options that um, that the, the, the market would expand in a way that, that would allow some more options that are more pick-up-and-play, I guess, in the miniature market. Uh, having to put together you know, a giant game table terrain and all these built models and paintings. It's part of the hobby for sure, but um, it's such a mountain to, for most people to climb. <laughs> um, there, you know, there used to be things like Heroclix that used to exist, and I feel like there's a hole in the market for that. Well, I guess for a long period of time, miniatures are a beast on its own, right? They're yeah. very, they're a high investment game that if you want to be able to play, you're putting a lot of, you're laying down a lot of cash as a customer. Sure. You know, you have to, to really dive into things. And I guess there is a uh, there's a gap at this moment for a more introductory style product. Yeah, or or more narrative, I guess. I, uh, uh, see, the miniature wargaming community is very tournament focused these days. I'd love to. You know, there's so much flavor in miniatures and so much lore and so forth. I'd, 
I'd love to see almost sort of more roleplay elements get into it. Um, I, when you see something like card games like Magic, you know, you see there's, yeah, okay, there's tournaments for, like, you know, Modern and, and Legacy and Pioneer. But there's also Commander. You just want to hang out with friends and just, like, goof around. And mm. there isn't that equivalent in the miniature gaming world. I'd love to, a, a Commander version for miniatures, I guess. Yeah, give me a Commander version of Warhammer. <laughs> I, I feel like that doesn't exist. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. Yeah, so I guess what I do want to do is I want to wrap up on the final question, in a sense. I always ask a variation of the same sorts of question of, you know, we're talking about success. We're talking about what, what it takes to succeed in this business, to make a game store that's, that thrives, that pays you as the owner, that takes care of you, you know, gives you the life that you want, but also takes care of the community that customers really appreciate. Just general What does success look like for you specifically, like you, you've, you said like you're at a level where you're happy. What would a, the next level of success be for critical hit games and for you, like personally as the owner? I really harkens back to just growing community again. Like as long as I can, you know, pay my rent, and put food on the table at the same time, while also dispelling any myth or feeling people might have the, of the classic game store. I mean, uh, everyone at least some point, thinks of the game store as like the combo guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> or, you know... And, That's a uh, recurring theme on this podcast. It is, yeah, it's a recurring theme and just anything I can do to help dispel that is is success. You know, that gaming's for everybody. Um, and we're in an age that's sort of a renaissance for this kind of stuff that it's, it's bigger than ever. Um, so anything that helps expand that and um, lets more people play Dungeons and Dragons and board games and Magic and Warhammer and better i do want to touch on that a little bit too as well now that you mentioned it we are in a bit of a a renaissance and i think the pandemic is responsible for that at least partially things were trending in this direction anyways but i think the pandemic has kind of accelerated it a little bit and pushed people back towards the face-to-face experiences the the tactile like move away from the screens you know people want to be able to interact with cards they want to be able to move their miniatures on a board and not necessarily just point and click with their mouse. So we're in a we're in some stage of this resurgence of yeah. you know this this hobby in this industry. Do you think that's going to continue into the future? How far do you think it's going to go? How mainstream is this going to be? Sure. Wild uh, speculation. What do you feel like? Yeah, I, I think I think it does have a cap at some point. I think there's an endpoint at somewhere where 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 there'll be at least a little bit of a, a drop in this renaissance. Um, game, games are great, but they're also very complex. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, people only have so much attention and free time and things like that. You know, that at a certain point, pe- uh, people will make decisions to, to no longer play Magic or D&D or anything like that. Um, but it is a little strange. Is, yeah, we are definitely in a renaissance. I remember, you know, even back when I was in school, that it was something you didn't admit to. <laughs> You want know, mm-hmm. you're a nerd, and today it's sort of like you're kind of weird if you don't interest interest in at least one of these things. You know? Yeah, I think at some point we'll see a diminishing returns in in this renaissance, but I don't think it'll ever. I think it will never become unpopular. I'll never go back to that. I don't think. Uh, well, things generally go in cycles, and maybe 20 years from now we'll go back to some completely different variation of things. But uh, yeah, my personal take on things is that. We are trending upwards, and hobbies like cards, like Magic, like Warhammer, board games, like this whole space is only going to become 
uh, more important for people in their lives. Sure. And I think that if, uh, for the game stores that are doing, you know, they're doing things well. They have the operations locked down. They have a customer service. They have a community that cares about them. They've got all these things in place. There's, those are the ones that are going to thrive, and they're going to continue to, to benefit from this surge of, of people getting more interested in having that sort of experience, whether that's in the store or you know, at home. If you can serve that community and you, can, you have a business that you know, satisfies that need, uh, I think it's going to be a, well, again, wild speculation, I feel like it's going to be a good few years ahead yeah. as things improve. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's a only upper trend. Um, nothing grows forever, but as long as the uh, industry keeps innovating and that the stores yes. that are selling their products continue outreaching, uh, that growth will, will go for a very long time. Final parting words. Do you have any advice for listeners who are you know struggling, who are in the business right now, they're, they're having a tough time or questioning or anything like that? What advice would you have for them? It depends on what I'm struggling, but like, I, I think about how you're, who, who's, in, who's coming to your store, how you're reaching them. Is there an audience you're missing? Is there a, a, a blue ocean of, of, of audience that you're just not even thinking about? Maybe, you know, do a, a ladies' night for gaming. Um, do something kids-focused. Just you, There may be customers you're not even thinking about that um, could be an entire new segment for you. But if, if all your catering is the same, group of gamers over and over again like i love them they're great people have come please come back um but there there may be an entire part of your community you're, you're not even paying attention to uh so look at outreach we do like i do a lot of uh, public school stuff public library stuff um and anything to get people to know we're out there and, and to reach audiences that i'm not going to be able to reach through facebook targeted ads or word of mouth beautiful that's exactly what i wanted to hear that's perfect all right so last thing where can people go to find you? Where can they go to find out more, connect with you, let people know? Sure. Uh, you got our website at crit-hip.com. Um, you can check, there's links there. You can check us out on our social medias. Um, and if you're ever in the Northern Maryland area, we're in Abingdon, please come and visit us. Beautiful. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. This was a fun conversation. I'm glad we could, uh, we could chat and explore what makes Critical Hit Games awesome. Cool, thank you for having me. All right, everybody, we will talk to you again in the next episode. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Manners Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. If you want to level up your marketing in 2023, check out the complete FLGS digital marketing course. This course is broken out into 21 days, and each day there is a relatively short video walking you through one particular strategy or tool that you can implement into your business right away. By the end of the 21 days, you have all the pieces of the digital marketing puzzle put together for your game store. It's everything we put into practice for our clients, and it's the perfect way to kickstart your game store in 2023. You can enroll in the course right now by going to maniversesaga.com forward slash FLGS. Thanks again for listening to today's show. I'm Tom Traplin. I've been your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast.